When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Raw, the fight within a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw The Fight Within. A bit scared to be honest. Are you really scared? Yeah, because you've got like a list of questions. I know, but I like think you, it was you've better. Never researched for an interview before. And normally you just come so in. No, like, it's very true. It's very true. And I'm like, what are you gonna ask me? You're like, don't worry, mate. Don't worry. So I wanted to put you in the first season of this, but then I thought it was too obvious to put you in because everyone would assume. Oh, was I not in the first season? No, because oh, there's right, only <laughs> There's only one promoter in each season. Right, okay. I thought it was yeah, too... I think Caller did it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, so I thought it was too obvious to stick you in. What is it? What do you mean? What is this? It's, a po- it's my podcast, mate. How's it going? It's going very well. Really? Okay. Yeah, numbers are smashing it on Obviously Spotify now, and Apple now you're and the really rest. Smash it, so I took inspiration from your uh, BBC podcast, to be fair. Difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Thus, you've been hounding me, like, oh, come on, mate. Come on, you've got to get it done on Thursday. Come on, because I've got to get it out on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. You know me. So does this cover off the interview that we've got out for the press conference today? 100% not. This goes out, no, next week. So nothing so. to do with the other half an hour you're going to grab with me? We're, we're definitely going to get you for IFL later, okay. yeah. Okay. You know the game. Um, we're going to ease you in really uh, kind of smoothly, mm. and then we're going to try and tap into your soul, basically, okay. if we can. Right, here we go. What is your first ever... I know you've spoken about this before, but what is your first ever memory of boxing? Like... Period. Your first ever memory? Probably Cliff's Pavilion in Southend. Did they do boxing there? Yeah, absolutely. My dad used to do boxing down there all the time. Okay. I remember trying to think how old I was. Probably like, I want to say 10 or 11. And I was a pretty gobby kid, as you'd imagine. I mean, my dad was Barry Hearn. You know, he came from nothing, started making money. He was probably splashing it around a lot. I was probably a bit spoiled. Um, and I just remember being sat at Cliff's Pavilion and I was in the front row and Mickey Duff come over and I can't remember if he had a broken leg or a broken arm. I think I'm pretty sure it was a broken leg. Anyway, limps over and he just looked down at me and he went, that's my seat. And I thought, that's your seat? It's fucking my dad's show. So I was like, that ain't, like in my, it's my seat, like that. Did you know Mickey Duff was No, there? not really, but he had a lot of people around him. And my old man sort of ran over and went, Ed, <laughs> just, I was like, what, what, who's this guy? And then I obviously found out that was Mickey Duff. So that was probably the first memory of being at a show. Um, and then things moved real quick. Like 1989, my dad did Joe Bugner against Frank Bruno. And that was really a guy who just thought, and, and this is the bizarre thing about boxing, it still exists today. Just a random guy just went, I want to get involved in boxing. Like, there's no barriers to enter in the sport. 
And that's from participating to doing what you do, doing what I do. Like, and, and that's the mad thing about the sport. And he just got involved and wanted to make a fight. I mean, that was his first fight. And that was at White Hart Lane. So I remember a lot of that going on. I was only, again, 10 at the time. And then he went on a, a big journey with Screen Sport and ITV and obviously Sky Sports. And, and that period of my life, probably from 12, was all boxing. You know, through really to the age of 18 when I started finding going out and enjoying myself. I was a boxing nut. I was in the matrim gym all the time. I would read Barry Hugman's British Boxing Yearbook religiously. I would know every matrim fighter. I would know the, um, the records, like everybody's records. And I was obsessed with the sport because I got to see a different side of it. You know, if I was in the King's Hall, Belfast, with um, or the Ulster Hall, sorry, the smaller one, with Paul Silky Jones crying 10 seconds before he went out to fight, fight Damien Denny as the away fighter, really, and breaking down in tears, thinking he might not leave the changing room, you know, and then knocking him out in the first round to Francis Ampofo, who's probably my biggest hero, you know, seeing him go and fight for the world title, your call. Jim McDonnell, who was another one of my heroes, going around his house when he was training for Azuma Nelson. Um, watching him get carried out of the ring on a table when he got knocked out against Kenny Vice and seeing him unconscious in front of me, thinking that he was going to die. And to the Michael Watson tragedy, to you know being involved a little bit with my dad with Prince Nazim, to just so many memories of boxing, really. Eubank Ben to Old Trafford, like great fights with Michael Brody against Injin Chi. But as anything, during that part of your life, it's a little bit of a blur, and especially when you know flying out to Hong Kong to see Herbie Hyde fight Tommy Morrison, and then the big argument of the weigh-in when the money wasn't delivered from the local partner, the fight was pulled, seeing all the aggravations, Bob Aaron, Mickey Duff, like you know, I, I was in that all the time, and for a lot of that time, it was the only way I could spend time with my dad, was to be around him, and you saw what boxing does to people because I see what he done to him. Like, without boxing in his life, totally different person. Totally different person. But when boxing was in his life, not a bad person, but very different. Not a lot of um, patience, stressed, angry. You know, and that's what boxing does to you. What was the first fight you ever went to? Like, with amateur I think it was, that was probably it, Cliff's Pavilion. Yeah. Um, Do you remember what specific fight it was? Or? No, it might have been Gary Mason. I mean, I also remember loads of, sh loads of fights at the Brentwood Centre. You know, Gary Mason against Jess Harding. Um, just fights, dinner shows. I remember going to a lot of dinner shows. You know, Francis Ampofo fought at a dinner show for a Commonwealth title. Dad used to do a lot of the Grove in the House. Um, Brentwood Centre. Loads of fights down the York Hall. I'm talking about fights like Mark Reefer becoming Commonwealth champion. That's like my dad's first champion. Mickey Hughes knocking out Gary Jacobs at the York Hall. Oh, this is like, makes me sound very old. Georgie Smith, you know, coming so through. Georgie Smith, yeah, I know. And like Mark Delaney, Gary Delaney, obviously Francis Ampofo. Um, so many fighters. Michael Ayres. Who else would I watch a lot? Like Bobby Guinan. Um, Danny Porter, the little flyweight from Biggles Wave. Like, these are all fighters that I was around at 12, 13 years of age. Um, and then as the fights got bigger, I would go to all of them, really, and all of them around the world. Um, you know, as the rise of Eubank, you know, one minute you're in South Africa watching the Dan Shoma fight, you know, then you're in the MEN watching him fight Henry Wharton. And, you know, like, I would go to all those big fights. But before that, all the smaller shows, you know, Cliffs Pavilion, York Hall, Brentwood Centre, everywhere my dad would do a show. So who was the first fighter that kind of made you fall in love with boxing? And what was it about them? You mentioned Francis Ampofo, but... Yeah, Francis was like, you know, Jim McDonnell was kind of like the one because my dad 
ran a lot of marathons. He would train a lot. And Jim McDonnell and Jess Harding would come to Maskell's, which is now the head office, which was where we lived. And they would run around the fields there. And my dad set up a little gym like down by the lake. They would do chin-ups and stuff like that. And Jim McDonald's shadow box in the pool and stuff like that. And I would go to Jim McDonald's house and his lovely wife, Kim, would make me kiwis because he would eat them all the time. And like people, a lot of people would feel that they had to be nice to me because I was Barry Hearn's son. But some people, like it's quite bizarre. And this just really represents boxing as a whole that someone would take you into their house or their family. When I was 13, 14, but that's what boxing does. It's a family. So people like Francis Ampofo that would go out of his way to look after me. You know, Francis Ampofo had two mates called Joe and Sherman, right? Two, I thought they were so cool because they had all the gear, you know, like they had a sports shop on Bethnal Green. They had the best phones. Do you remember those Sony phones that you just press a button and the thing would come down, yep. right? And, like, for me, although my dad's from the East End and, like, so's my whole family, I wasn't really. So I was, like, I was never a posh kid. But obviously I grew up around money. So being with Francis, and Francis would take me down to Bethnal Green, and we would go and hang around with Joe and Sherman in the shop, and then... You know, I'd go to Charlie Magri's and I would get some new boots because I started boxing around that time at Billericay. And, like, I loved that world. And that's probably what always put me in good stead to be able to deal with all kinds of people because sometimes people from my background couldn't deal with those people. But from a very early age, I was around them all the time, you know. And I would go to the gym in... Romford, where we had the Matchroom Gym, which is probably one of the greatest times for Matchroom, and Freddie King, who's my godfather, was the head trainer down there. And I would go down there, and I would just sit around, and I would meet Francis, and me, Francis, sometimes Herbie Hyde, sometimes Eamon Loughran, I mean, these are other names that I forgot to mention earlier, would go to Deep Pan Pizza on the corner of Romford. It was 3 99 or 4.99, and we'd just smash the pizzas and pasta. And this was probably why I had a problem with my weight. But... Then Francis would take me to, we'd go and watch Spurs. And he'd drive down there and he'd drive me there. And, like, they were good role models for me, you know? And I think I'll never forget what Jim and Kim and Francis and people like that, like, they opened their, their doors to me in their house. I mean, I would go around, see Francis and Emma, and, you know, when he had the birth of his daughter, Olivia, who's now, like, I don't know, 22 or something like that. You know, that they were great memories, 13, 14, 15. Um, and, and they were probably the ones that made me fall in love with boxing. But it's what I got to see up close, you know? Like, you, you get to see things that people obviously wouldn't have seen. And that's from negotiations at, in my dad's office at home to fighters coming in and arguments and, again, tragedies, you know? I mean... Um, Spencer Oliver, again, someone that our family was really fond of. And I know that because I'm in that family. So my dad, my mum, you know, and obviously Jess, who my dad's super close with, you know, when he had his injury, um, that was a, you know, you know how those kind of things affect people in boxing. Obviously, when you're as close to it as that, the Michael Watson injury, of course, um, you know, and, and lots of others as well. So you get to see the, the goods and bads. The thing, what, you know, I think when you, when you touch boxing, it never really leaves you. But when you've been around it since 10 or 11 and you've been so close, then it becomes such a huge part of your life. And it's, it's very important to me. Like as a sport, as a business, I take it really seriously. And that's why when things go wrong or you get accused of not caring, that's when it actually really hurts because people don't know you. People don't know what, how, the role it's played in your life. You know? And from that period, 
you know, I probably lost boxing a little bit, probably, for, maybe for a decade, really, between 20 and 30. I'd always follow it, but my dad was just doing small shows. But the last 13 years, I've made an unbelievable sacrifice for the sport. Like, mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. You know, because you can't operate at the level that we operate at and, and not let it completely engulf your life 24 hours a day. I know you've joked about this before when people always ask you about, uh, like, if you wasn't in this industry, that what you'd be doing. But in, on, in a serious context, if you wasn't, not even just necessarily your family and dad, but you personally, if you wasn't in the boxing industry, mm. what do you think you would be doing today that, at this that, age? That, I think the better question is, if you didn't work in sports or in this field, like with matron, what would you be doing? Because don't forget... I never really, like at the age of 12, 13, 14, I wanted to be a fighter. I didn't want to be a promoter. I wasn't looking at my dad going, oh, wish I could promote the big shows. I was thinking, I can fight. I can really fight. I hang around with all these guys. I've got the boots. I've got the head. I've got everything. You know. I've got the boots. Yeah, but I would, you know, but that's what you like as a kid, a clueless kid who just, you know, I would watch these fighters hit the bag, speedball, and I would think, I can do that. I can fight. You know, and I've, I've got skill. And so I never wanted to be a promoter. And even when I started work at 18, I never wanted to be a boxing promoter. I never even wanted to work in boxing. I just loved the sport. So when I left college, I was supposed to go to university, the same one that my sister went to, Bournemouth. And I decided to get a job. I didn't want to work for my dad because growing up, everyone said, why do you need to study? You know, you're only going to work for your dad anyway. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and make my own way. So I went out and I got a job in the sports industry. Did that for three or four years and then ultimately realised my role in life, the way that I've been brought up, is I have to take over for my dad. That's just what we do as a family. But before that, I never really expected to work in boxing. And I think if I didn't work in sport, I would have followed all my other mates in the city, probably. You know, I've got hugely successful friends all from the same clique growing up, who actually, we all, we're all useless at school, but everybody made their way in the city or construction or property, and that's just what we do. We, you, know, you motivate each other, and if you're around people that want to be successful and actually make sacrifices and push hard, that'll rub, up, rub off on you as well. So I think I would have ended up in the city, probably, as, as most people did from... Most people with big mouth from around our way, as you know, who, who are quite well-educated, but, you know, we're also yeah, loud yeah, mouths yeah. and flash. We're going to the city. Yeah. They'd go on the life floor back then. You know, they'd get work experience, which I, you know, could have done quite easily, and I would have tried to make my way in that. What, in stocks or...? Yeah. Stocks, settlements, whatever. I mean, same as everybody's, you know, 90% of my friends work in, in the, the stock market or in, in finance. So I think I probably would have done that, really. Um, but I was programmed, really, and my dad laughs about it now because he says, "No, you're a, you're a you're a project. You're a product of me. It's what you are." And that's really the you can hear it in the way I talk. You can hear it in the interviews. If you've only got to look at like for like, go back and watch his interviews when he was doing Eubank. It's like looking in a mirror. I, I never watched those interviews. I, I never watched him going, I've got to talk like this, I've got to do that. Just, I was around him. I saw him operate at nights when he was on the phone all night in the study. I would just sit there on the floor with a cricket ball or football just throwing it up in the air, not thinking, what's he saying? But it would, I'd just be there. And he, he's my hero, really. So you, you just look up to these people and you think, he's the man. He's the man. When he was growing up, do you remember... At whatever age, the first ever kind of serious, I'll say outside of the ring, so not from a boxing aspect, but do you remember uh, the first kind of fight or argument you ever got into that was that sticks in your brain as fight or argument? Yeah, like me, so, or, you, you, yeah. Um, I do actually. Never told this story, but I was sitting in Romford Deep Pan Pizza. Spend a lot of time there, by the way. Loads of time. I'd go there three or four times a week. Cool. I'd have like eight or nine slices. This is a problem. I was a fat kid, really. Oh my God. I know, but yeah. But they were, they were doing three sessions a day in Avenham. I was just coming from college or school, having done no sessions. And 
I was sitting here, Francis and Pofo were sitting here, and Herbie Hyde was sitting where you are. And he was moaning about my dad. No, just sort of saying that, I don't know who it was like, wants more money or thinks he should be getting better fights or something. And I reckon I was 15, maybe. And I just took it really personally, like badly. And he sort of said something to me and I thought, that's a bit of a liberty. And I said to him, Herbie, like what, you just got to listen to him because you're, you're thick as two short planks. That's what I said. To yeah. Herbie Hyde? To Herbie Hyde. Okay. But I was angry because he, he was like, I was trying to defend my dad, you know. And he's got his knife and fork and he's just looked at me and he smashed it on the table and he's gone, I can't remember what he said, but I've never shit myself so much in my life. And France and Piper went, hey, 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 herp, herp, herp. And I shouldn't have said it to him. And I apologised after. But I was just, he was talking about my family, you know? And that was the first, I, we'd never had, like, I wouldn't argue with fighters at 14, 15, 16, you know? And I never really had any arguments with anyone, any fighters, because I was too young. I was just, I was the kid that they, they looked out for, they looked after, but I was the kid who was always trying to carry the belts in. You know, I'd be in all the changing rooms, I'd be sneaking around. And it was exciting. It was a, it was a really exciting world, you know. Um, I was just looking back, thinking back then, when you talk about my first memories, another memory was when Johnny Nelson boxed Marcus Bott in Germany. And he was the away fighter. And it was really lively in there, bad. And uh, Johnny stopped him in the last round. And I was going mental running around, like, celebrating, jumping up and down. And they, they had to come over to me and say, you, you really need to stop. I can't remember how old I was, 13, 14. But I remember just walking around Germany after, I think it was Berlin, with my old man, like, leaving the show. And going, like, I was like, should we have a beer, Dad? Should we have a beer? And he was just walking through the streets with him after seeing him fight Johnny Nelson. It, it's, um, it becomes the good days of the sport are when you... Oh, is that still all right? Yeah. Probably quite nice. Yeah. The good days of the sport are when it doesn't take over your life. Do you know what I mean? So when you're a bit naive to it all. Like I look back at Frotch Butte and nights like that, Barker Gill, Brooke Porter, where we weren't... The pressure wasn't on us globally as it is now in terms of the size that we've become and back then it was just us against the world you remember in Carson yeah you were there weren't you yeah. when we went back to the hotel after and it was just like fuck we've done it I wasn't thinking about oh I've got to leave tomorrow because I've got to fly to Mexico or back to London or to Australia or to Italy or to Spain to do another show oh you know, I didn't have 1.2 million followers and everybody's moaning at me all the time. It was just, it was just a, a buzz, wasn't it? You know, it was just, it was great. They're, they're the real great days that I remember fondly about boxing. And the same for my dad. You know, my dad probably looks at nights like, you know, Eubank Ben won, yeah? And, and those kind of nights. Even Mark Reefer winning the Commonwealth title. Like, go back, Johnny Nelson, Marcus Bott. I don't know. I remember nights at the Granby Halls in Leicester, Chris Pyatt, you know, fighters like this. Silky Jones winning a world title. Eamon Loughran winning. But if you ask my dad, I'm sure he'd say the same thing. When, when you become really big and really successful, the game changes. And it's not as enjoyable. That's the reality. And, and the responsibility is different. But back then, like when Brooke beat Porter, it was just us in the bar after. I, I didn't have a care in the world. I just thought, I can't believe we've done it. We've done it. Kel Brooks just won the world title. He's been I don't remember a lot of media out there from the UK. There wasn't. Because well. no one really... But boxing wasn't that big then either. Darren Barker, when he boxed... Even when he boxed Sergio Martinez. Not... I didn't have a clue. When he boxed Daniel Gill, I was there. My old man was in the ring. I'm looking at Michael Buffer, reading out the announcements, going, I can't believe... And Darren Barker's won the world middleweight title. I can't believe it. You know, and we, we had this plan out at Simsy's gym in Hainal. You know? But this was before the global business, this was before the global vision, this was before, you know, and that's, that's just where you want to get to, but it, the, the, 
the role that it plays in your life changes considerably when it gets to that level. Stakes become a lot higher. Tell me about a time that you, and this isn't specific to boxing, but tell me about a time where you felt like you were fighting a losing battle in your life. Hmm. I don't know, I guess... I guess growing up, you know, you, when you're a kid, you don't really think about what's going through your mind, why you're behaving a certain way. It's only on reflection that you do that, you know? So I look back a lot at how I behaved as a kid. And I had a good heart, but I was a Flash Harry, you know? I would throw my weight around. I was at Brentwood School. I was like, and this says a lot about Brentwood School, I was like the tough kid at Brentwood School, you know? Because, like, my dad was from Dagnum. I was quite a big lump. And I didn't really like the kid that I was there, in all honesty. Like, I look back now, obviously, with kids myself and think, yeah, I wouldn't really, if I was a parent now looking at you, I wouldn't really like you, you know? And I'm a bit embarrassed about, I didn't do anything wrong, like, I was never really in trouble, a few fights and stuff like that, but nothing. But I just, I think my attitude was bad. And I think it was just the fact that, looking back, that I just was in my dad's shadow. And I, I think, I, and I loved being in my dad's shadow. I couldn't tell people quick enough. You know, my old man used to pick me up from school. We had two limos, right? You've got to remember, my dad's from Dagnum, right? Came from nothing. When he started making money, he wanted people to know about it, and he wanted to have the good things. He'd buy Ferraris, he'd buy, he'd buy he, we had two limos, black limo and a white limo. This was before they were used like for a hen night or whatever, this is when like, oh, you could hardly get them. Stretch yeah, limos. Yeah. And they would pick me up from school, oh. the limos. And I thought it was the bollocks. And I think, again, looking back, this is where I cringe, and I look back and go, oh my God. But I couldn't tell, you know, as soon as I met someone, my first thing I would say is, I'm Barry Ann's son. Do you know Barry Ann? I'm his son. Right? That was probably insecurity. I think I was very insecure as a kid, actually, looking back. And no one would have thought that because I was loud and I was brash. And when I got to 18 and 19 and 20, I'd be in the clubs everywhere and I'd think I was the bollocks. But actually, I was probably quite an insecure kid because you've got a really successful uh, father. And people, like the one thing that makes me laugh the most is that People don't realise, and I've been very lucky, people have had it a million times tougher than me, but it's quite difficult to have a successful dad because it's difficult to sort of shine in your own light and it's difficult to make your own accomplishments in life because you always get compared to him and you always get told that you've had a leg up and it's all right for you, you've got money. Car, you, you know, your dad got you that job. You got, and like, with, for someone with ambition, that's quite hard because I want to be a star. I want to be a success. I want to make my name in this world. When I leave, I want people to go, fuck, he was good, that guy. And it's very difficult to do that. So that's been like a burning. And I always say, like, Frank Lampard was in the year above me at school. I think when we talk, he had exactly the same thing. When he went to West Ham, Everyone thought it was a joke because his dad just got him into West Ham. People, he would just be Frank's boy at school and I'd be Barry's boy. And now, with all due respect to his dad and to my dad, everyone talks about the son, really, especially Frank. Fucking one of the biggest legends of England football. He wouldn't even remember his dad was a great player at West Ham. You know? It is, it is difficult. So, I think... Going back to your question, maybe I was, I was think I was a little bit lost in, in like my late teens and that, and then boxing has made me feel like there's no way out many times, many times, like things happen. I mean, just when you think it can't get any worse, you go through the Conor Ben situation. But the only thing is, is the experiences in life harden you to deal with stuff. If that Conor Ben thing would have happened to me five years ago, ten years ago, might have finished me, to be honest with you. And I've had to have that with Dillian White, I've had to have that with 
the one, the one that hurt bad, I mean, obviously the Aldi Harrison story is famous. The one that actually hurt bad because of my love for boxing was Frotch Groves one. Because I got accused, really, of, like, it was my fault. Do you remember? Howard yeah. Foster jumps in early, and all of a sudden... You got all the stick for it. Yeah, and I thought to myself, wow. Like, and that's when things started to change a little bit. You know, we go back to that enjoyment of just being, like, carefree, and I just thought to myself, wow. And I was getting abuse. I was getting stick. I was getting shouted at. I was getting called a cheat. I was getting told that we're corrupt, and we're... And I just... I couldn't believe it, really. But that's when I started to realise the size of what we were becoming and, unfortunately, what goes with it. So there's been no moment where I just thought there's no way out. Or, but I've felt many times, when, when will it end? Like, when's this going to turn? And I think that's a, just a great lesson in life. It always turns. It always turns. You know, like, I'm not, and I'm not saying the Conor Ben situation's forgotten, but you know, like, when that's happening, you just think to yourself... Is this ever going to go away? You know, and you just got to ride it out, and you got to realise that it, nothing lasts forever. What What would you say, day to day for you, outside of even boxing? And it's difficult for you to answer because you're consumed with boxing every day. Mm. You talk about them days where it's a good day, where in boxing, where I suppose you don't really have too many of them. But the question is, what are your everyday battles in life? Like, not really connected to boxing, like. Just in generally when you I wake think, up? I think, I don't know whether it was COVID or whether it was lockdown or whatever it was, but for years and years and years, my mates would always say to me, You're, you are sick in the head, like in terms of what you do work wise. Like you've got to understand, when you talk about it consuming you, I don't sleep. I mean, some, might, some nights I might get seven hours. But generally, I'm up all night working, all night. And I think recently I've started to look at myself like, I started looking at myself maybe a year ago, thinking, my granddad died at 43 of a heart attack. His dad died at 44. My dad had a heart attack at 51 and he was running marathons. And they're all smokers. My dad was 20, 30 a day, he's his old man, 40 a day. But I just thought to myself, you really need to, if, you, if this is what you want in life, and this is how you want to operate, and it is, by the way, because I'm addicted to what I do. I'm addicted to winning. And I'm addicted to success, or, or what I will come back to success shortly. But I just thought to myself, you're going to die, really. Like, you're going to end up, you're under too much stress, you're overweight, you're not sleeping, you're travelling every week. Like, that used to be quite cool to me. You know the whole thing, and again, you should buy Relentless, but you know that whole Relentless thing? I just started to think to myself, you may either die, or you may get to the end of your life and go, I don't even think I really had a day off. Now that might be all right for someone. And my life is work. And I, my life is the company, the business. But I just started thinking to myself, you know, you've either got to get healthy or live a better lifestyle or you've got to relax. Are you prepared to relax? Are you prepared to take your foot off the gas? And the answer was no, I'm not. Because do you know what taking your foot off the gas means? Losing ground. Letting people go past you taking your afterball, getting complacent. And I'm not prepared to do that yet. So I made the other decision to try and lead a healthier lifestyle. Lost 15 kilograms. Started training more, eating better, trying to sleep more. Um, because I wasn't prepared. Like, I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to step back and sit on a beach. Because people say to me, what do you like to do out of work? And it, honestly... I couldn't tell you. I, I don't, like... And people might listen to this and go, that's a bit sad, and maybe it is. But that's, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to competing. 
and trying to win and try. I, lo I love this sport so much, and I'm not ready. And I promise you, I will not be around for. I say long, forever, but I won't be around for long because I'm you not. You mean in terms of the sport? Yeah, okay. I'll always be in this sport. Always. Now, last night I was at Brentwood Central ABC with my daughter. That gives me more enjoyment than running a show at a sold-out stadium. Because after no that show... Because no one's there to slag you off. It's not, you, you don't get... Everybody loves praise, right? I feel like I should get a lot more praise than I do. That's just me. Because I see what I put in. I know what it means to me. So when I do a show, because of all the negativity, even when I do a good show, that praise lasts... Four or five hours, tops. So, what I used to do is finish a show, go out, you know, you can remember? Yeah. Might go to a club, if we were out somewhere, whatever, have a bit of a laugh. I haven't seen you in a club for many years yeah, after know, a show. But that's because, Not that I'm there either, obviously. Yeah, but that's because my mind, like, the only way I could take my mind off the job was to unwind have drinks, and go out, like have a night out. Then, I'd wake up in the morning, I wouldn't have slept. Then I eat shit. Then Monday comes around and I'm flying off somewhere and I'm, I'm overweight, I'm, I feel like shit. So I thought to myself, I'm not gonna do that anymore. So as you know, I don't go to clubs. And, and also, I can't move. Like, you've been out with me. You know what it's like. Everyone wants a picture. Everyone wants my time. And I don't, like, they're, they're customers. So I'm never going to be the one going, oh, no, tell security, no cameras, no this. But it, it's, that's when, when I look at people like AJ, who is a million times more intense than me in that respect, I just think, that's brutal. So, um, I can't even remember what the question was now. But I'm not, I'm, this is, this is no good for me. That's the reality. If you want the honest truth, and I see it every day. You know, I look at myself and think, I'm, because I can't remove myself from it. Yeah, when people say to me, why do you read social media? Because social media got me here. When I had zero following, social media and interacting with fight fans, the public, our customers, that's what got me to where we are. I'm not prepared to not understand what fight fans are thinking or saying. I, I don't get that. And all these, no other promoters are really on social media, really. Like, but I, I'm much too much too, too invested in it. And I care too much. So when someone says something or attacks me, I don't mind being honest with you, it, it upsets me. And it puts me in a bad mood. And you take that mood with you. And I always preach. You know, the great thing about people that preach, and I'm one of them, especially to you and to you all the time, I do so many things wrong. Why would I listen to what someone has to say about one of my shows and let it affect my mood for the day? Why? Am I stupid? Because I fucking really care. Do you know what I mean? It's my show. I love the sport. I want everyone at home to go, what a show. Eddie's the man. Fucking love Eddie. And what a great promoter. What he's done for boxing. I know he cares about us. I know he cares about the sport. But you're fighting a losing battle. And I should just turn it off. So there's your losing battle. Yeah, that is a losing battle. Worrying about what people say. I think that is a losing battle. Because you really shouldn't. If you believe in what you're doing, but maybe that's a bit of insecurity, being honest. You know, oh, so I finish a show, right, and I'm like this. And if it's a, it's a good show, I'm like, oh, get Twitter up. And it's like, fair play, Eddie. And, and it hurts people to give us compliments now. That's the sad thing. Fair play, Eddie Hearn. What a show. Oh, like, I feel unbelievable. You know, Eddie Hearn, you're the man. Fucking brilliant. Can't wait for the next one. Oh, like, that feeling is the greatest feeling in the world. Now, do a bad show, and you know when it's been a bad show, and it happens... Fucking useless, Eddie Hearn. You know, you're you're finished. You're this. 
where's Connor Ben's B sample? You're corrupt, you're this, you're that. And it's like, you just go, why, why do I bother? So I shouldn't even read it, but I don't, I don't mind admitting, I do. And I don't, I don't read it anywhere near as much as I used to. But I want to know what's being said. I want to know what the customer's thinking. Because I'm a customer, really. I see myself as the same as these people. Everyone's different in terms of, but I love boxing, like these people love boxing. And, you know, that's when I feel like I'm fighting. When, when I'm here, there, everywhere. I had it the other day, what did I do? I went to um, Gloves Up, Weapons Down in Tottenham. You know, I, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me, but I was really tired, like I'd just flown in somewhere, and I promised I'd go down there. And I went there, it's amazing. And then it's like, oh, it's a PR spin from Hearn after the Conor Ben thing. And everyone was saying it, I was like, fuck. Like, you know, but I'm like everybody, you, same with you, you do an interview and someone says, great interview and you go makes you feel good so yeah what okay what when was the last time or tell me about a time that you felt you had to fight back your tears fight back my tears because i don't really know how emotional you are emotional like but in terms of like actually seeing i come from a very cold is the wrong word but pretty cold family like my mum is hard hardened, she don't like me saying East End, but she was born in East Ham, I mean, like, you don't call me. And solid fam- like family woman, you know, like, and my dad is just one of a kind, you know? But it's not a, f- I weren't brought up, like, when people were crying and, you know, everyone was emotional and stuff. It was very, dad's very, like, get out of there, son, you work your nuts off and you go and win, yeah? Like, you'd come home from sport and go, how'd you get on today? Oh, we lost 3-0. What? Useless. Come on, son, go out and practice. You must make sure you win tomorrow. Not, oh, oh, it's all right. You tried. It's really good. It's really good. Well done for trying. Like, that, didn't, I, I, that never existed for me. So, hold back the tears. Honestly, I find it hardest to hold back the tears when I see someone so happy or see them achieve something that they've always dreamed of. And that's one of the most beautiful things about what I do, you know? So I will cry after a fight, and sometimes, I'll say like floods of tears, but I'll be doing an interview after a fight, and I'll be like, that's the feeling, you know? Like when Crawler, knocked out Dali's Perez after being robbed in the first fight, after fracturing his skull, you know? And I'm sort of sitting back, looking at this guy. The one that got me bad, and got my dad bad as well, was Bellew winning at Everton. You know, when he got his boy in the ring, and Rach come in, and when Bill Kenwright, who was really ill, got up on the turnbuckle, like, I can feel it now. Yeah. And like, you know, because of what, what it meant to everyone, so I like, things that get me the most are seeing people achieve something that they always dreamed of achieving. That's, like even, I think my old man's a bit like that as well. Like, sometimes we'll be watching, or we, we'd be watching Pop Idol or X Factor. And you know when you get the sob story, someone goes up and they start playing the, the music and someone's died in a family and they all, you know. And I look over and he's like, oh, and he won't cry at anything else. But sometimes something like that, or like a film, you know, so I've been I've been brought up to be to to not cry, really. But what makes me struggle to hold back the tears is something seeing someone achieve something they've always dreamed of. I think I find that very difficult, especially in boxing. Do you ever feel like you're having to fight demons? Have you got demons that you fight, and it's not? Like I said, specific to I think, boxing. Yeah, I, I think because of what I'm like, I must have demons. Do you know what they are? No. Do you address them? No, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, probably that upbringing that I spoke about there, you know. Like, I've been programmed, really, in a way. Not by my mum, but really by my dad. Like, I think he had a son, one son. 
he built this business from nothing and he thought to himself, I'm gonna, my son's gonna take over from me. And I'm a product of him really, you know? So I don't, I don't, I don't like to overthink. Um, but definitely I'm more aware now, like mental health five years ago, and he won't mind me saying, if you went to my dad five years ago and started talking about mental health, like I would never go to my dad five years ago and tell him I was struggling with my mental health. Honestly, it would be an embarrassing conversation. Like he, as far as he's concerned, that's rubbish. You pull yourself together and you get on with it. And I think the great thing about mental health is how that stigma has changed. Because I would have said the same thing five years ago. If you would have said to me, do you struggle with your mental health? I'd go, struggle with your mental health. Who struggles with their mental health? But the reality is, it is a real that, thing. That's not that long ago, though. You say five, five years, years or maybe ago, ten years, I don't know. I mean, I, but probably still then. Because I was the kind of person that would say, it's for weak people. That's what my dad would say. That's for weak people. And he... He's now a believer. I don't think he's completely convinced like the modern day man is, right? But as far as he's concerned, or was concerned, that's really for weak people. And that's where the stigmas change, which is so good. I do also think, though, that because people are so frequently, openly talking about mental health, there can be, there needs to be a distinction between a mental health issue and not a bad mood, but... A bad time in your life. Yes, 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 a bad time in your life. Everybody I agree with that. Yes. has bad times in their life, yeah. right? I've had, I, I have, but, you know, I think that the demons that I have to face are more, like, just having the, the drive to keep going when you think that you just, you know, you're tired and, and that. And I think, as I get older, I do think... I'm asking myself a lot more questions. You know, I'm 43. How long do you want to do this for? What happens in your life? Where are you going? You want to do this all your life? No fucking way. So what are you going to do? You know, you've got a massive company, business, you want to take that forward, you know, probably float it, probably do, you know. But what? And this goes back to the conversation about success. Right? So what is success? For years and years, I thought success was making a load of money, having a big house, having a successful business, or being the best in your field at what you do. And I used to look at people who might have nothing and think, well, you're not successful. But actually, as you get older, success to me is looking in the mirror or waking up in the morning and feeling good or feeling happy. That's the difference. And that's why I won't do this forever. Because a lot of the time, I don't. So when you say, do you struggle with your mental health? Maybe, actually. Because some mornings, I'm pretty miserable, really. Because the kind of Ben's thing's happening, or we've had a load of stick, or AJ Fury's broken down. And you've got to remember, when you're miserable, like, I'll give you an example. When all that Conor Ben stuff was happening, when AJ Fury starts breaking down, and then you get on, you wake up, and you're miserable, right? The world's on your shoulders. You open social media and you read, don't even read, you flick through thousands of people giving you abuse. Right? You get in your car and you drive to the train station. You get on the train. As you go on the train, three or four people come up to you and have conversations about Conor Ben and Tyson Fury and when you're going to do this and when you're going to do that. You get on the train and you sit there quietly, and then someone else comes over and wants to take a picture, and then someone else wants to talk about Tyson Fury and AJ, and then by the time you've got off the train, you're like, then you get to a press conference, and I have to do 40 interviews with people grilling me, quite frankly, don't even have the fucking right to grill me, but I've always given them access, and I always answer all questions that are put to me. Two hours of people grilling me, right? Then you do the press conference, then you get back on a train, then you get people asking again, Tyson Fury, this, blah, 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 Conor Ben, what's happening with that, what's happening with that? And then all the interviews are out, and then you get all the stick from all the interviews. That's a pretty dangerous day, really, when you talk about mental health. Like, you've got to be pretty 
strong or sick-minded individual just to go, fuck them. Who cares what people think? I'm the fucking boy. Have you, have you had to fight depression in your life, would you say? I think it's very... I, I don't feel right moaning about my life. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but it's, it's not, I'm asking you to moan about it. I'm saying, no, do I, you believe I, in your life to have suffered or have to fight depression at any point? Because if you say no, I find that very difficult to But it's, to it's, it's just your interpretation of depression. Like, have I had horrendous days? Yes. Have I had days where I didn't want to get out of bed? Yes. Have I had days that I didn't want to go to work? Yes. Have I had days where I just thought to myself, I don't want to do this anymore? Yes. But I just, I distinguish that as life. Do you know what I mean? So have I had suicidal thoughts? No. Have I thought to myself, I don't want to be alive anymore? No. But have I had days when I've been fucking so miserable, I just thought, fuck this. I just don't want to do this anymore. Yes. But not shouldn't everybody. I don't believe there's people who haven't had days like that. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, I just, I think there's got to be a determination between, you know, have I struggled with my mental health? Has, have I asked myself questions about what's going on in my mind and what I want to achieve in life and where I'm going? And am I happy? And yes. Absolutely. And I think everybody should do that. I think that actually, like, and the thing that I try and do more is actually talk more. It's much better. You know, sometimes you, you keep everything in. Yeah. And I'm very bad at that. So like my dad will come into the office or he'll phone me up and go, all right, boy, everything all right? I go, yeah, yeah, no problem. Sweet. Everything's good. Fucking hell. You're under it, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good, dad. It's all good. Yeah, you sure? You're right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Boom. Now the other phone call, the way that should go is, I've got to be honest with you, Dad, I'm fucking struggling. Because he's the best person to have that conversation with. Ah, listen, right, what we do is we do this, do that. Fuck all these people. You know, you know in your heart this and that. You look yourself in the mirror and you move forward and blah, 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 blah. That. You have that conversation and you go, okay, I'm back. Rather than keeping it in, keeping it in, keeping it in, which is something I would do. If I, if I really was, if I had depression and I was having all those thoughts that you said, I probably wouldn't tell anyone. You wouldn't? No. Because I still have that little bit of a macho stigma that is the problem with mental health and depression where men don't want to let that out. You know? Yeah, I just feel like the way that I've been brought up is there is that stigma that it's a weakness. If you suffer with mental health, you're weak. That's an old school mentality. That is changing that perception, yeah, it should isn't do. it? It should do, because anybody... And that's the other thing that I think people have to understand. Just because you are successful, or just because it appears that you've got everything... That can mean nothing. Nothing. It, it's probably the one thing that i found, right? When you are successful, and you are at the top of what you do, it's very likely that the mental pressures and cracks will be deeper and wider, as opposed to when you might appear to the, the general person to have nothing, right? There's a lot to be said about a carefree life. Carefree life does not come in this seat, trust me, right? And someone might say, oh yeah, it's all right, you've got a big house. And, Look at your bank know, balance. Exactly, and all that, yeah, yeah, I wish I. But I tell you what, there's a lot of times, when you talk about struggling, there's a lot of times where I've thought to myself, take it all, mate. Take it all. Just give me a little, just put me in a nine to five, yeah? Where I can just have a couple of weeks off every now and again, get home from work, switch off, go for a bite to eat and a pint, turn my phone off. Oh, yeah, but what about your money? Well, fucking take it. Take it all. That, that, and that's interesting. I, I've learned that because years ago, I would have said, fuck that, I ain't taking nothing, you know? But actually, you start to realise that money and stuff like that, yeah, listen, having money's great. It can give you tremendous things and your kids and stuff like makes that. Makes your life easier. It does, but, you know, pressure makes your life much harder. And making money don't come without pressure. 
and being at the top of your game don't come without pressure. And being in the public profile and getting criticism definitely don't come without pressure. So I'm like everybody else. I love a pat on the back. I love people saying, like, I love people coming up to me going, Eddie, we love you, Eddie, hey. Like at the same time, as much as that gives you the high, you can understand where the lows would come from. Right, just a couple more quickly yeah, before we, we, we uh, wrap this up. Um, you, you as a person, like you fight for your kids, your family, and not just the community, but you kind of, you live your life to uh, not please other people, but to, to do things for other people. But who does things for you? Like who's in your corner? Who's there for you well, at six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening? I mean, at the end of the day, it's on you. Like, I don't look for people. People have my back. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of fighters who I would trust my life with. Like, older fighters that I've worked with in the past, you know? And obviously family and stuff like that. But it's on you, mate. Like, I don't, I don't rely on anyone. I don't, you know, look out for an arm around me to go, come on, Eddie. Like, you know, when you get back and you've flown 10 hours and someone goes, yeah, but it was in business class, right? And then you get home, you can't sleep the whole night, and then the alarm goes off, and then you've got to go back up to Manchester or something. I don't expect anyone to come in and go, come on, Eddie, you can do it. Go on. That's on you, mate. You've got to get yourself out of bed. If you want to be what, where you, if you want to get to where you've got to get to, the only person that's going to do it is you. You need good people around you. You need good energy. But you're the only one that can do it. So I don't really rely on anyone. No one puts their arm around me and says, come on, keep going, keep, that's got to come from in here and in here. Two in one now. Where, where do you think that fighting spirit, and I don't mean in terms of a physical aspect, because obviously mm. that career is done a long time ago, wasn't it, Eddie? Oh, where does your fighting spirit come from? What and what drives that, that fight Sport. within you? Sport. Sport. Sport taught me everything and how I was brought up. Winning is everything. Coming second means fuck all. That's how I was brought up. I don't necessarily agree with that, like how it was drilled into me. Is that how you implement things to your kids, though? You? A little your bit. kids are in sport, a, yeah? a little bit. A little bit. I'm much, much looser than my old man was on it. Like, great, you know... I want them to just compete, take part. But I will say, like, if they come back and go, oh, we lost 2-0, I won't go, come on, what's the matter with you? But under my breath, I might, 2-0, oh, useless. Would you treat them differently if they were boys? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Probably shouldn't, but I don't see how you can't. But, I mean, my, my, my sister was a good athlete, you know, she fenced for England and stuff like that. And my dad was definitely more lenient on that. With me, I played decent level cricket. And, you know, literally it would be... But he would say to me, right, you get 50 today, I'm going to do this. You know, you get 100, I'm going to... You want that? But, because the way I was brought up was, you get given nothing. You earn everything. So I say to him, I want a bowling machine, Dad. I tell you what, you score your first 100, I'll get you a bowling machine. And that's all I could think about. Now, when I was playing over Ardley Green when I made my first 100, when I got to about 98, all I could think about was the bowling machine. I was like, fuck me, I got two it, and all I could, but really all I could think about was my phoning in after the game, saying, I made 100, you know what I mean? And, but the rewards, and I'm not saying that's right as a parent, but for, for me, it was always like, when you achieve, you get rewarded. So he was like adamant that rather than me being a sport, he would say to me, you want money? Clean all these shoes. Right? So I can see my face in it. So I'd dip every pair out and I'd clean every shoe. And I'd get 50p or a pound a pair. And at the end of it, I'd get six or seven pounds. It'd be like, yes. And that was just him saying, you've got to earn it. That's very difficult when you've got money. You know? But that's really the mentality for me. Where does it come from? Sport. Win, win, win. You know, if I'm in the garden with my dad, he used to fucking come off a long run up and bowl at me, like at speed. With, a, with the hardball, right? If we're playing table tennis, he's diving around on the floor to stop me winning. I mean, I'm 10 or 11. But that's just, it's not, 
a lot of people won't think it's right, but that's where it comes from. Loving to win, loving to compete. And I would love to have been a sportsman, but I wasn't good enough. So this was the next best thing. Okay, well, Edward, I appreciate your time. No on problem. Raw, the fight within, um, different type of interview to what we normally do. So much appreciate your time. This has been Coogan Cassius with Eddie Hearn here on the Raw Fight Within podcast. Make sure you tune in next week and make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Deep stuff, baby. Sports Social Podcast Network.